Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom and think. I'm Andrew Davidson, Chief Insights Officer for Compare Media, based in New York. And today, we're going to be talking about the 2021 trend predictions that we made here at Mintel. What did we get right? What did we get wrong? And more importantly, what can we learn as we emerge from the pandemic? I'll be talking to three experts with proven success in predicting future behavior and how it impacts business strategy. Joining me, I have Jenny Zegler in Chicago, Sarah Jindal in New Jersey, and Simon Moriarty in London. Welcome to the pod. Hello, hello. Hello. Hey, Andrew. All right, so uh, please could you, uh, let's to get started, just please introduce yourselves. Okay, I'll go first. Hi, everyone. Sarah Jindal. I'm Associate Director of Global Beauty at Mintel. I've been here... Uh, just over seven years. I just had my anniversary and I was also a Mintel client for a really long time. So I feel like I've been with the team for many, many years. I'm Simon Moriarty. I'm Director of Trends for the EMEA region at Mintel, uh, based out of our London office. Um, And I've been here for twice as long as Sarah, uh, which is terrifying, 14 years at Mintel. Uh, hi, I'm Jenny Zegler. I'm an associate director on the Mintel Food and Drink platform. Um, and I guess I'll split the difference. I just had my ninth anniversary at Mintel. Excellent. Well, welcome, welcome. All right. Well, well, first, it seems that you know everybody is in the business of making trend predictions. Why do we do them at Mintel? Uh, well, we started doing trend predictions because part of our ethos at Mintel is to always be looking ahead, to always be providing the most valuable insight to our clients and providing a direction for them to go for how they should develop their business, whichever markets or industries they're working in. And what trend predictions do are providing that kind of shifting landscape. It gives a roadmap going forward that we can be very agile and kind of adapt to and, and, and change as, as things change in terms of consumer behavior. Um, but it's, it's really just a, a, an important way to, to show that at Minter, we're constantly looking to the future, our own future and how we can develop, but also the future of our, our clients and the, the brands that they work for. Yeah, I think that it also helps to elevate our analysts. And we usually start the process by organizing as many analysts as we can. When we used to be able to do that in one room, there was great energy in that room. Now that we do that over you know, video conferencing, it's still, those are some of my favorite days at Mintel because we learn so much from each other. And even though we're hosting global sessions, you can start to see some of those patterns emerge. Um, so I think it really helps to showcase all that we have here at Mintel and kind of synthesize that in an exciting way. And the other thing too, is we don't just make these predictions and then forget about them. You know, they are these sort of living, breathing things. As Simon said, consumer behavior changes all the time. (laughs) Um, And so we track them and we sort of look at them and we kind of go back and revert to predictions we've made in the past. And we look at how, not just how they've played out, but also how they've evolved over time. So we can actually create these sort of timelines and look at this kind of evolution and this growth of all of these different things that we're talking about. And it's a little bit of obviously what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. I mean, I think it's clearly it's a tough time to be in the predictions business. I think obviously such an unusual time. Um, I was, when I was thinking about our conversations now, you know, you've got people like Bill Gates and others warned of a global pandemic years ago. Clearly, you can't anticipate such an event when you're thinking about predictions. And obviously, COVID has impacted every aspect of our of consumers' lives. And as I say, we're living in this uncertain time. How did you, you adapt or respond to this uncertainty, which really was unprecedented? 
It was interesting, uh, you know, I'll just speak, obviously, on the the beauty side of things. Um, We added a whole new um, section to the reports that we were writing, which was looking at the impact of COVID on all the different categories that we were covering. And sort of looking at that now retrospectively, we we put this sort of stoplight um, measurement in place just to look at short term, midterm, long term. And it's funny, I had a conversation with another analyst the other day and we were just commenting on how bleak our outlook was and how it turned out to not be as bad as we thought, especially in the beauty categories and how we've seen um, a much quicker turnaround in terms of people, you know, spending money in the categories than we we actually thought was going to happen. So it was really interesting just to look at kind of the time frames in which we were considering what was happening, what might happen, and when things would start to return to normalcy. So we definitely, um, you know, kind of tinkered around with some of those time frames a little bit. And and for the trend predictions, it was the same thing. You know, our clients were saying to us, like, oh my God, what do I do now? They weren't worried about five years from now. So where we normally would do like a two-year outlook or a five-year outlook, we were more focused on six, six to 18 months and really... Um, just figuring out how do we guide our clients through like the day-to-day decisions that they were trying to make because I, you know, none of us really knew what was happening or where things were going. Yeah. I think from the, the consumer trends point of view, we were, because we, we, we do it slightly differently that we're, we're not kind of making predictions about a specific market or a category and, and looking at, you know, the specifics in that sense, in terms of what's the next big product or what what's the size of the market. We're looking at how those behaviors that we've identified as, as the kind of key motivations for, for people's decision-making, they are always shifting and they are always kind of unstable by their nature. They get impacted by internal, external changes in the world, um, in people's day-to-day lives all the time. So actually, when we were kind of coming into the pandemic and a period of uncertainty, that outside of the fact it was a global pandemic that, you know, the likes of which the world hadn't really seen before or experienced before, for a generation at least, the uncertainty that consumers were going through was kind of similar to what has always been there. So people still have uncertainties about their finances or about where they live or about their job security or about what food to buy for dinner or, you know, looking after their health, looking after their mental health. All of those things were already important consumer behaviors that were kind of impacting their decision making. It was a lot of what, what we saw during the pandemic was it was simply accelerated because of the, the you know this huge event that happened. But so we kind of from a consumer point of view, we were able to, as Sarah said, we were able to to kind of also benefit from that flexibility of of how consumer behavior always changes anyway. And actually having the pandemic in in a way gave us a better idea of how those predictions would shift because we knew that this would have kind of, you know, seismic, uh, this seismic event would would have implications across everything that people do. So we were able to almost then make stronger predictions about what we thought would happen um, because, you know, lots of the time it's, it's kind of, we are looking five years ahead and beyond. And obviously the further ahead you look, the, the less certainty there is. And when things become accelerated because of uh, a pandemic, we're able to kind of ground things almost in, in more reality. 
Yeah, I the way I viewed last year, obviously unprecedented uncertainty, but also we had a level set of a universal human experience. So it's always difficult when we're predicting global trends, like one city might be leading it, or it might only be urban consumers in certain markets, or it might be one market over another. And we're trying to show that this will grow. But the pandemic gave us some certainties we could grow from that as to what Simon said. We were able to kind of lean into these predictions and say, you know, people are going to be cooking at home more often because that's where most of us were. And then what do we do and how do we learn to grow from that? So I think it did kind of help to make our predictions a bit stronger because we knew there was a level of certainty that we don't always have the benefit of. And actually, just going to that point about it was a global event where, you know, when it first started, it it was kind of everyone was experiencing more or less the same thing. But what I think one of the benefits that we saw when looking at, at how things would change going through the pandemic was that because different regions were experiencing it at a local level in very different ways. So there were countries across Asia Pacific where there were much fewer cases. Um, there were things like stronger lockdowns. People were um, locked down for, for shorter amounts of time and then able to return back to some levels of normality much quicker than you know, the UK, for example, where we went into lockdown later and then lockdown was extended for longer than um, other other countries. Um, and we were able to then see how, okay, if things are kind of going back to normal in China, for example, we were able to uh, sort of adapt our, our research and look at how people's attitudes have changed. And then we can, we can predict how similar shifts in behavior would then impact across Western markets in terms of, you know, people's attitudes towards going back into the office, people's attitudes, attitudes towards going back to a restaurant or to a bar, for example. So it kind of, it almost helped us that there was the, this global event that shifted a lot of people's attitudes at a very broad level, but then the local differences really helped us kind of predict what would happen in different markets. Yeah, so as things happened at different time points around the globe, it gave us sort of indicators as to what might happen in other markets. So, I mean, it's interesting though, it's like it gave, made me think just thinking about it, you know, obviously when you're doing predictions, you know, it's difficult to account for like black swan events. And you could argue that perhaps that the pandemic wasn't a black swan event because it is something that's being predicted. But if you think about, you know, the stock market, you know, investors are always warned that, you know, past performance is no indication of future results. And yet when you think about predictions in general, so often they're also kind of almost linear projections of what, you know, what's going to happen in the future. I mean, to what extent can we base predictions on our past behavior? I think we do, from the, again, from the consumer side, we, we do always kind of bear in mind what people have done in the past. Because actually, people's attitudes and people's motivations for doing things don't actually change that much. It's the, the external kind of factors that, that, that change significantly, the things that people can't really do much about or didn't see coming. And so we're able to see that actually if, if people are concerned about their health or concerned about their diet or uh, people are more kind of interested in experiences versus material things, we'll see that those do change over time um, in terms of what types of products and services are available to them, in terms of what kind of messaging is, is being kind of given to those people to help, you know, with things like lifestyle changes. But kind of on a very broad level, they'll still have the same concerns and the same motivations and the same ambitions and the same priorities, regardless of what happens around them. Um, so the kind of that linear approach is, is almost like we, we know what consumers are like. We know why they do things. 
what we kind of tend to predict is is what will take precedence going forward. So kind of it's not quite a linear prediction where it's like at this point this will happen, this point this will happen, at this point this will happen. It's understanding that if consumers are interested in in um, more variety in their diets, for example, we can then make predictions about what brands should be doing to provide that choice and what's driving that choice, whether it's health, whether it's, it's experience, whether it's supporting local business. Mm. It was almost like an amplification of things that we were already mm. observing and tracking and, and sort of watching, like, you know, the the shift from offline to online and this, this whole idea of this kind of omni-channel experience and, you know, delayed payments and cooking at home. And, you know, all of these different things that we were already starting to see the consumer sort of moving in some of those directions in, in, in smaller groups, everything just happened faster and bigger. Um, you know, so from a beauty perspective, it was, it was interesting because, you know, our categories tend to be quite cyclical in nature. And if you've been around long enough, like me, um, <laughs> you see the same things kind of coming and going and happening. So it was kind of interesting to watch that still continuing, but just this sort of amplification or this kind of gravitation towards one category versus another, like this idea of, you know, anything that you could do to make yourself feel comfortable or cocooned (laughs) or normal, whether that was eating a lot of macaroni and cheese or using more face masks or whatever it was, you know, people just wanted to treat themselves and make themselves feel better. And that was really where the focus shifted. Obviously, you know, there was a big focus on necessities because, you know, there's always those groups of consumers that are more concerned about their finances than others. And so there's definitely some nuance to it there. But um, yeah, I think more than anything, it was just, we saw this real, a lot of what we were already looking at really come into focus in a big way. Yeah. I think the acceleration was what was most stood out most to me. We have older global food and drink trend predictions about using science more in food and drink to create maybe more natural formulations or using lab made like lab or cell agriculture in different ways. And when I've explained that to our clients over the past, you know, four years since we've had these predictions, it was going to be a slow go. And now all of a sudden we've hit fast forward on that and we try science more than ever. And you're seeing huge amounts of investments in some of these companies that are pushing that technology forward and using science in new ways. And on top of that, consumers could more likely accept that at a faster pace because vaccines have helped us open up the world and all of these other scientific developments that are helping us recover from this pandemic. And otherwise, that would have been a very slow evolution, I think, for acceptance, especially when it comes to what's in our food. And it's interesting because it's almost like the reason why so many of these predictions that we we had already been talking about across food and drink, across beauty, across consumer, we already knew that these things were were happening, and that pe- you know people were looking for comfort and nostalgia in different markets. People were working from home more than previous generations. People were concerned about their their health and what goes into their food and drink, and protecting the environment and all of those things. And you know, looking at home as a, a place of comfort and security, all of those things were already happening. But then I think what happened with the pandemic is that choice was taken away. So, of course, then, you know, if you're already motivated to kind of buy products and services that make you feel safe and, and comforted and happy, if you don't have the choice of an alternative, you're going to do that more. Um, and again, it's this kind of, it's interesting to see how 
people responded when choice was taken away. And that's, that's naturally then accelerated the need for brands across different markets to, to meet these, these new kind of priorities that people have. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get, let's like talk about specifically about how we did uh, with our predictions. So, I mean, thinking back, um, obviously we won't, we don't have time to go through them all, but is, is there one that, you know, that we got right that for each of your respective sort of areas of focus that you're particularly proud of? I guess I'll go first. <laughs> um, I will say overall, we, for, for our 2021 trend predictions, I mean, and obviously a lot of this rolled out of the work that Simon and his team did from a, a broader consumer perspective, but we hit on a lot of really important topics um, and themes or ideas or concepts or whatever you want to call them. Um, and so for beauty, we did a whole trend piece called Beautiful Mind, which was about wellness, but more specifically kind of the mental aspect of wellness and really just how we saw consumers use their beauty and personal care products and routines in a completely different way and just really rethinking how, you know, from the outside, most people look at a lot of this stuff and think it's just fluffy, you know, nonsense or, or what have you. But um, it became you know, these routines became what people really fell back on as a way to bring some structure back into their day. You know, skincare routines have become kind of like the, the poster child of the pandemic for most people is really just, you know, coloring their hair at home and doing all of these different things, you know, from a beauty perspective that they'd never done before. Um, and so it was really interesting to watch how all of that played out in real time because everything that we were talking about not just with this trend, but with previous trends that sort of filtered into this whole kind of concept of well-being and mental health. Um, you know, we, we were able to watch it happen in real time over the last year, year and a half. Um, and so, you know, a lot of brands not only... It, and it wasn't just about like your product assortment or your formulation or your packaging. It was the way that you talked about it. So we did see this really, really fast shift from brands in the messaging that they use, the imagery that they used, um, the way that they leveraged their social media and their other you know platforms. It became less about pushing people to buy a product and more about what that product could bring to the table for you from a stress relief perspective or a safety perspective or something like that. So, yeah. um, you know, we, we were really happy with some of, some of the, the little tidbits that we'd included in that trend because a lot of it really did play out and we watched it and it was, it was interesting. I, I agree. I think from food and drink, there's a huge opportunity that we see that we could build upon what people have done with beauty routines and rituals and the self-soothing aspects. We also had a trend for 2021 about making more food and drink for mental and emotional well-being. And right now, there's just basically hot teas out there. But I think we can all agree that 2020 gave us way more stress than hot tea can solve. We need a lot more <laughs> solutions than just that. Um, but it's also that aspect of we don't necessarily have time. When we look at our consumer data, consumers agree, I need to take care of my mental and emotional health. But with what time? I can't spend an hour meditating or doing yoga or going for a walk. So beauty routines, I think helping establish that, we could move that into food and drink. Like we're most likely spending at some point during the day eating or drinking something. So can we also accept that as a way to take care of our mental and emotional health? Is that 
the act of cooking is relaxing or just, you know, looking away from your screens while you have your cup of tea or coffee. Like there's so many other opportunities to be exploring of positioning that as yes, you do have time in your day to take care of your mental health, do it through beauty as well as food and drink. Yeah. And from just sort of building on that point, one of the, the key things that we saw when we were doing 2021 trends was obviously that mental health would be hugely important. Well-being would be would be changing and, and developing. And I think that's one of the key key trends from a consumer point of view that we, I mean, it's difficult to say you get a trend right or wrong because the trend kind of exists and it shifts and it changes over time um, because we're, we're not particularly in the business of predicting a specific event or a specific thing um, because, you know, that's a whole different skill and and not something that we necessarily would need to do at Mintel. Um, And there are things that we we predict within within our trends that that don't necessarily play out within the timeframe that they, they, that we might predicted, but they do play out eventually or sooner than we thought. I think the the work we did around consumer well-being and consumer attitudes towards value, they, I think they're the two trends that I, I think have really kind of developed to be the most important from a consumer point of view in terms of how people's attitudes have shifted and the impact that has on the decisions they're making, the types of products and services that we've we've seen grow out of the pandemic and mm. continue to become or continues to be important for consumers going forward. I think the key thing is that none of the none of what any of us have done really is is kind of come up with the next fad. Trends are much have a much longer uh, lifespan and than a fad, and, and what we do well is is adapt to those trends and, and see how they shift. I think. So yeah, I'm going to say we got all of them right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a, I mean fair, it's a fair point. I mean, I guess you know we're looking long term. We're thinking about longer term trends uh, among consumers, and of course, things shift in focus. But I guess I'd push you though. So let's, I mean, let's talk about trend predictions. Not necessarily if we got them wrong, but maybe we were slightly off the mark. Maybe they didn't quite play out or accelerate in the way that we didn't you know at the speed that we expected them to be let, let let's let's talk about those uh trends that we that we came up with for 2021 i would hesitate to say wrong but i think it's the timeline that shifted just because sure. the uh recovery is in so many different places it's in fits and starts in different markets so one of our global food and drink trends for 2021 that i think is just on a slower evolution path um, is building more communities of food and drink fans. So organizing them together, connecting people who have been, you know, indulging in their comfort mac and cheese, as Sarah mentioned earlier, and having them meet each other. And we're just seeing right now that as so many markets are starting to reopen, our priority is seeing our family and friends that we haven't seen in a year or getting back to the sports stadiums or seeing our favorite bands or going to a movie that we haven't done. It's not yet at this level of, oh, I want to meet new people and expand my community. It's more, I need to reconnect with the people and the things that I've missed. So I think that that will potentially just take a little bit longer to emerge for food and drink. Yeah. And I I agree with Jenny on this whole, like, we didn't get it wrong. It's just the priorities, mm-hmm. I think, of some of the, the topics that we were covering have definitely sort of shifted themselves in order. And I think, I think for us on the beauty side, I would say uh, from a sustainability perspective that 
became a little bit of a lower priority for people because mm-hmm. it was really all about, you know, safe and, and health and hygiene. Um, we saw a, a huge uptick in the use of like single use and disposable products from that hygiene perspective. So people were just like, mm, I want to take care of the environment, but I'm going to use the wipes to clean my groceries yeah. or wipe my steering wheel and stuff like that. So there was this real, you, we saw this real, um, like internal, you know, strife with people because they wanted to do the right thing for the planet and for their kids and future generations, but they were also trying to keep themselves safe. So, you know, that, that was definitely something where short term, I think, some of these ideas around sustainability took a little bit of a hit. I think long-term it's still, you know, the game is, is still afoot, but I think in the short term, that one was definitely like, got to keep it clean. (laughs) Self-preservation first. Yeah. (laughs) It's been interesting to see that this kind of, yeah, that internal struggle that people have that, that kind of dichotomy where, you know, people do want to do the right thing, but the pandemic has kind of forced them to do other right things if that makes sense so people still like as you said people care about the environment but they also care about their own health more um and i think that's also influenced a number of the the consumer trends that we launched for 2021 where again we were kind of predicting short medium and long term what we thought would happen but as we see kind of different countries different regions come out of the pandemic or or move back into lockdowns or kind of restrictions shift some of the things that we thought would happen sooner aren't necessarily going to happen so things like going back to jenny's point about community you know i think there was a sense that we thought from a consumer point of view because everyone has been forced to be a part of their local community more than ever before that would kind of continue going forward but obviously as soon as a restriction is lifted and you're able to leave the place that you've been holed up for a year (laughs) you're going to go and you're going to go and visit (laughs) friends and family and and the community becomes something different then i think it it, is still going to be an important consumer trend the importance of community the importance of local but it's it's almost like it there's going to be these gaps i think these kind of breaks in in the importance of these trends as people kind of recalibrate what's important to them they they go back to the things that they've missed they they change their lifestyle because of what they've been through they you know they're recovering from a global event that had you know hugely negative effects on on the majority of people in the world that's going to take time for people to recover from in in so many different ways that so some of the trends that we from a consumer point of view they they do look a little not irrelevant because these things will still happen. But when we start talking about things like virtual reality as a technology that will be hugely beneficial for people, you know, that's, I think for the majority of people, that's the last thing they care about at the moment. And it's like, well, once right. it becomes. I was going to say, te- te- yeah, technology yeah. is always a challenging one. And I think we're pretty good at doing this at Mintel, but like, you know, you tend to, you know, all those predictions there will all be in self-driving cars. We'll all be on hoverboards. You know, these, these things, you know, don't necessarily always play out. Yeah. I think the hoverboards thing will definitely happen sooner rather than later. Um, but yeah, it's, I think technology is a difficult one because it's, it's, it does have that slightly sort of futuristic in inverted commas kind of thing because you're you're then looking from from our point of view we're we're still focused on consumer behavior and attitudes and and what people expect from products and services so we're not saying that you know the next big tech thing will be x y and z but i think yeah it's one of the things that we're and we've seen in the past you know we've predicted in the past that the augmented reality virtual reality would be the next big tech trends right. and we'll, we'll see brands using those in marketing and in products and 
kind of hasn't really taken off because it's cost prohibitive because people don't have access to internet as much as they need for that kind of thing. They don't have the stability. You know, we've seen big brands like Google get involved and then kind of stop being involved as much and going back to the drawing board a bit. So technology is always a difficult one. Uh, but again, we adapt it. You know, we see that, you know, the reason why virtual reality might be appealing is because people crave experiences. They like trying new things. But, so those two things are still true and they will still remain true, but it's, it's, it's what they're actually interacting with. What is the product or service? That's the thing that becomes difficult to predict. I think that's also a good example of, um, you know, not necessarily getting things wrong, but being too soon, like thinking of Google Glass, like that could be something that appeals now if I don't want my phone in my hands as I'm walking, but I still need, you know, directions or the ingredients to what I'm cooking. So it does feel like that's, you know, sometimes where that timeline can shift and kind of change the direction of a prediction. Google Glass. And it's also just thinking about all of the different you know, the nuances of all the different groups of consumers that we're trying to cover in one sweeping, you know, yeah. prediction. So there's, you know, Luddites like me that would never consider using that type of technology. But then there's yeah. other people that, you know, are out there trying to get their, you know, be the first one to get their hands on the tech. So, and then you've got everyone in between, people that aren't interested, people that can't afford it, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, making those big broad sweeps sometimes obviously is... Did we get it wrong? Eh, no. Yeah. There's more to it than that. <laughs> All right. Okay. Most I'm going to just aren't ready. I appreciate it. Yeah. Give, give me a grade. How did we do on our trends? 2021 trends. Hey. Objective view. I knew Simon was going to say that. I knew, I knew it. it. I knew it. And I'm a Gen Xer, <laughs> so I'm only ever going to go for a B. <laughs> Jenny? I was going to say a B only because we, we got things right, but that timeline of recovery yeah. is so different that it's hard to apply it to every single market. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, you guys, you need head. to be, you know, I'm going to give you both an A as well to have a feel better. <laughs> Three A's, please. I'll take the A, but I would never give myself the A. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, we're obviously, we're thinking now about the future. We're thinking about 2022, um, you know, we obviously will be thinking about those in the coming months in terms of pr predictions for 2022. Uh, you know, what are the, some? obviously that we're at the early stages of that, but, you know, any sort of preview of the sort of some of the big themes that are emerging uh, for next year, maybe you could give us a bit of a preview on that and, and perhaps any brands to watch, thinking specifically about brands that um, are really going to emerge strongly uh, as we as we go into the next year. Yeah, I think some of the things we're thinking about now and because we've seen them really develop and, and kick on during the pandemic and will we'll still play a part next year and beyond things like uh, the themes that we've talked about. So health and hygiene will still continue to be important. So we'll, I think we'll continue to see innovation across those spaces because people will be looking to kind of future-proof themselves more than perhaps they have been uh, in the past. And I think convenience as well will really uh, be a, a big a big uh, trend in lots of different ways because um, people are already so used to to being able to order whatever they want online and get it delivered within you know minutes effectively in some cases um, but the, the kind of the value of convenience what convenience can actually bring to people from a you know positive mental health point of view a sustainability point of view merging markets and sectors together to provide more convenient options for people um, so I think we will see things like um, a growth in sort of intelligent vending machines and things like that to provide people with access because we'll still see people wary of going back into shops and things. Um, and I think brands to look out for, I think in the delivery space, there's going to be more and more need for the brands that have benefited during lockdown. So the likes of um, Deliveroo. 
uh, Just Eat, Uber, you know, they've, they've benefited from people's behaviors, having to change people not going into shops to buy groceries, so ordering them online, uh, people not taking public transport or getting private uh, cabs if they can. But there's so many competitors kind of evolving at the moment that those established brands, I think, will need to diversify and they'll need to maybe shift how they are kind of being perceived by consumers. So should their focus be on convenience for convenience sake, or should they be looking at things like um, incentivizing people? Should they be doing more with rewarding consumers for, for choosing them? Should they be focusing on things like playfulness in their advertising campaigns? So it becomes less about the convenience of simply getting something delivered and more about the brand itself providing a valuable service. And just something that we, to pick up on this idea of value that Simon was just talking about, it was definitely a really big topic for us this year. Um, and just this shifting definition of what value means to different groups of consumers. And obviously, convenience is a big part of that. But what we also found and what we've kind of started to look at a little bit deeper is that experience is part of that value proposition as well, especially when you're thinking about um you know, the beauty categories, they are, it, it is such a crowded landscape. There's so many new brands launching. Even during the pandemic, we had new brands mm-hmm. launching all the time. Um, just really thinking about how the consumer kind of physically experiences a product and how they go through that, you know, touching, smelling, sampling, and all of that is such a big part of beauty. And we saw that really shift this past year, year and a half, because you weren't allowed to touch anything. Um, and a lot of people moving forward will continue in that vein of, of touchless and no touch. And so how do we, you know, really create um, this integrated, you know, really immersive experience of beauty for the consumer? So that's definitely something that we're, we're kind of looking at and, and watching and exploring. Um, but also, um, Another interesting, you know, area that we're, we've been talking about quite a bit is hormones and the, the impact of hormones, not just on how you feel, but on your skin. You know, this year we talked a lot about um, lack of sleep and how that impacts your skin. So obviously melatonin became a big part of the conversation. We talked a lot about, you know, serotonin and oxytocin and, you know, oxytocin is the hormone of touch. And how for those of us that were isolated really suffered in a lot of those different regards. So that's another, um, you know, interesting topic. And there's some brands that are starting to do some really interesting things around like hormone profiling and hormone testing and then pairing that with kind of the right products to use. So it's it's a it's a it's, you know, watch the space because there's some really cool stuff happening. Any names you can share? There's a new brand that just launched that I I saw recently called Veracity. And basically, you get this kit that they send to your house and it tests your saliva for a bunch of different hormones. And then they use that to kind of design your like skincare, personal care routine. So very new, but still really, really interesting. Interesting. Yeah. From a food and drink perspective, we have been watching personalization for a while, but the one I'm really looking forward to exploring a bit more for 2022 is, Sarah mentioned this earlier, but that evolution of sustainability um, and how that obviously was focused a bit more on self-preservation. And so we didn't care as much about you know packaging and single-use packaging. What we really saw the pivot to during the pandemic was a focus on people and how are you taking care of your workers? Are you donating to 
to frontline workers? Are you supporting other people in your supply chain? Um, and as we start to come out of this, I think some of, especially the headlines in the most recent weeks of really extreme weather patterns, I wonder if consumers are going to be switching more towards where does our food come from? Is that sustainable? Do we have an ability to keep the supply chain strong into the future with all of this kind of climate change uh, worries happening? So I think that that's a interesting evolution to be looking towards. And we're seeing more open attitudes towards brands that use I, I food waste, but like ingredients that otherwise would have gone to waste. Um, there's a brewery in Canada that use it that's called Loop, and they use uh, ingredients that. Um, otherwise would have gone to waste and make that into beer. Uh, but then also these brands that are really making strong propositions related to their ethics. Uh, ben and Jerry's made headlines in the past couple weeks regarding that. Um, so I think that there could be more attention, especially among Gen Z consumers to these brands that are coming out strong and are building their business upon these sustainability and responsibility principles. So that was a fascinating conversation. I think uh, we, you know, we've now unfortunately run out of time so you heard it here first brands to watch for 2022 uber deliveroo veracity loop ben and jerry's thank you to sarah jenny and simon thank you for listening if you enjoyed it don't forget to rate and review us we will catch you on the next episode of middle conversation if you want to know more about mintel who we are and what we do head over to mintel.com and follow us on social media. We're on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And check out our blog for even more insights from our analysts.